Welcome to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast, brought to you by Flowpath. I'm your host, Griffin Hamilton. This is the show where I interview industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights into modern day facilities management. From hospitality to commercial real estate and everything in between, we'll learn what it really takes to succeed as a facilities manager. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast. Today, I've got Nitin Gavila. Nitin, how are you doing this morning? Absolutely fine, Griffin. Good to um, speak with you. I presume we are in the maybe the same time zone now as of now, I suppose. I'm, at, I'm, at, I'm in Boston. Okay, yep. Uh, I'm down here in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, we're at the moment of this recording think uh, the people in the southeast thoughts and uh, prayers out to the folks out in, in Florida but uh, we're prepping for the storm coming up and uh, yeah, I thought I moved yeah. away from that when I moved from Florida to Atlanta but <laughs> but here we are uh, well hey again I appreciate you, you taking the time to come on and uh, before we really talk about the main uh, theme here uh, on the show today really talking about sustainability green building practices and what you're doing over at search Ferrari group uh, why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about who you are and what it is you do yeah so um, I've been working with the, this French company search Ferrari with for the last seven plus years it's a world and market leader in composite materials uh, in a layman language you can call them technical textiles uh, because the the fabric is being used for both interior and exterior applications. Um, and we'll talk about that anyway later, what my company does. So I am based out of Singapore. I manage the uh, responsibility on the business side for the region of Asia Pacific, Middle East and Africa, which is a huge one. And then I also manage two strategic markets, which are related to tensile architecture, which are big structures, uh, you know, like stadiums, airports, shade structures and modular structures which are related to event tents, lodges, and those kinds of applications. So I manage these two strategic markets worldwide. And then the, the zone or the region, which is a business area, Asia Pacific, Middle East and Africa. Now, in, in before that, I was working for another French company, which was in roofing. So my association with French companies goes uh, for 20 years. Uh, that's where, I mean, I'd, I'd gone to Paris early 2003. Uh, for for my MBA and then I started working in France and then moved to Singapore and I've been based there for the last 15 plus years um, and uh, in the past I was working in India also in paints industry and in the dairy sector so that's been my uh, basically my background um, on the professional side um, I'm I'm an engineer and, and an MBA and on the personal side as you just asked before we started this conversation I'm also into meditation and I'm a meditation trainer for uh, for heartfulness meditation. And we can obviously talk about that uh, whenever you wish to. So that's in yeah, uh, no. what what I am. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the meditation component of it, and that really piqued my interest. Uh, I think that's something here over the last, you know, five, 10 years, it's becoming more and more common. It's not uh, something that it's just, you know, out there where a lot of people are taking, you know, mental healthness as a priority. And what's really interesting is how it translates over into the workplace. And so yeah. I wanted to, one, get your back on how you got into being 
um, getting into meditation and being a trainer there, but also like how that does translate to the physical buildings that we're living in and working in. Okay, that's an interesting one. So, um, in fact, uh, my journey in meditation started uh, nearly 20 plus years back. Um, I was working in India in a sales role and uh, uh, one of my sales uh, representative who was reporting to me, we used to travel a lot, visit customers. So he kind of introduced me uh, to this practice. His, his parents um, uh, were trainers or are trainers. And, um, and, then, um, and then over a period of time, I tried to understand what it is, what it is about. And this then just took the plunge, you know, and I realized that it's really in meditation, it's about really taking the plunge and practicing it. You, you, one may read as many books as uh, one wishes to, but in the end, it's, um, it's really all, all about practice. So this heartfulness meditation is about quiet, silent meditation, um, bringing our attention to our heart and just keeping it there um, without worrying about the thoughts, because a lot of meditation um, elements people misunderstand sometimes is that the thoughts have to stop or they need to make efforts to stop actually in this meditation we say it the other way and i always um, you know kind of um, summarize it in a way to say that um, you don't concentrate to meditate but you meditate to concentrate meaning you don't have to do anything to focus your attention anywhere you just you know kind of bring your attention to your heart and rest there and or, and you find a way to uh, to deal with thoughts and then when you ignore them then over a period of time your meditation becomes deeper and deeper and those things then lead to all the advantages of of um, you know concentration relaxation and everything so so that was the start of the journey now um, uh, trainers in heartfulness uh, in which to emphasize they are we are all volunteers so in this practice we don't charge anything or any money for anyone who wishes to start the practice or continue the practice and as trainers we are volunteers to make that accessible to all so after a couple of years of practice um, i was in a uh, city where there were less uh, trainers or there was not any trainer so i was made a trainer so again it's not a hierarchy that um, uh, you after a few years uh, somebody a practitioner will become a trainer so it's it's just based on need and your willingness and willingness to give time because uh, one is a volunteer. Uh, so that's where the journey has continued. So wherever I traveled, I kind of tried to uh, do some um, open houses or introduce people. And we do that for corporates and a lot of communities and everywhere across Singapore and uh, across the region. Now, coming back to the point, I would say in the workplace, I think the first thing meditation helps and which is, you know, uh, became a buzzword a lot more during COVID and after COVID is the mental health part. You know, so obviously being able to keep your mind at rest, uh, find a way to bring your mind at rest and relax with the all the stresses and the challenges. And obviously COVID magnified that uh, the impact on each one of us. Um, it also helps you to keep that balance. So I suppose that's the first element it brings. And I would not say it's only for professionals. It's for anyone. So in fact, it has a much bigger uh, gamut uh, of um, of you know usage in that sense it's not only about workplace but then when you have people with that um, being able to kind of calm themselves automatically it creates the right working environment right place to work and interact and you're able to appreciate and even differing points of view and you take it in the in the right manner now in terms of design of spaces 
I would say maybe there's not a direct correlation, but more and more I have seen that at least in some places, uh, people have started creating, uh, you know, uh, kind of um, uh, how to say uh, relaxation rooms. I mean, it's the wrong word, mm -hmm. but um, a, a getaway room where you can just go and sit quietly. You see that in some countries anyway, what they call as prayer rooms, you know, in the multicultural uh, countries uh, or some countries. But similar on that concept, people have uh, uh, companies have started creating spaces where a person can just go and sit, do whatever that person wishes to, you know, whether meditate, just uh, take a small nap, um, maybe do a yoga or whatever. Or now you see a lot of these um, pods, which I've seen sometimes mm -hmm. coming up. Earlier, the concept was these pods were to make a phone call, for example, not to disturb the open uh, seating area. But now those are pods which uh, can be used also for meditation, you know, just to sit in that space and everything. So I suppose um, those kinds of things are coming in that way that people need to be given a space where they can just reconnect with themselves alone, you know, not being bothered or somebody's watching them, um, you know, or you're in open space, you cannot, you know, get your own time for yourself. So I would say that's the convergence which I see happening. Hey listeners, real quick. This is Alex Cummings, CEO of Flowpath, an industry-leading CMMS designed and built by operators to fit the scale of any organization. I'm excited to share with you that Flowpath now offers a tier for teams that just need core CMMS functionality on simple monthly contracts and at a price that makes sense. We call it Flowpath Core, and it runs on the same powerful Flowpath software that thousands of professionals rely on every day. So come check us out at getflowpath.com and see just how easy it is to get started with a software designed to fit your needs. Oh, and mention this ad and you'll get 10% off your core subscription. Okay, enough from me, back to the show. Yeah, and it's interesting because not only is the it on the facilities team to create the environment there and like the physical space, but it's also the, the environment. You know, there's a lot uh, of organizations that have greenery around, it's open environment, uh, and it's just, all, you know, large windows and it's one of those things where over the last few decades it's gone from the cubicle world to now the open environment to make it a place where you can think you can concentrate and that's where i find it very interesting of the uh mental component of it and the meditative uh piece of it and then the physical piece of it and the intersection there so i was curious your uh your opinions and your thoughts on that but uh Going into the really the, the reason why you wanted to come on the podcast and we wanted to have you on here is talking about uh, what you guys are doing at Search Ferrari and specifically um, the build and design with green building practices and the materials you're using. And so uh, with that, and I know composite material is a big piece of this, uh, what I guess explain that a little bit more uh, of what uh, you guys are doing within um, your architecture and your architecture and design with composite materials and how you're uh, implementing green building practices there. Yeah, so just going a little bit, um, um, you know, one step back towards what composite materials actually uh, mean. So in a layman thing uh, to explain, you can assume that it's a it's a polyester yarn uh, woven um, product or, um, or, you know, and then coated with the PVC or different levels of varnishes and everything. So that's a very classical standard, you may say a PVC fabric or a PVC coated fabric. Then you have yarns sometimes made of glass yarns, which are more uh, stronger uh, with the coating it has and a lot of big structures and stadiums and where the non-combustibility element plays a big role 
those kinds of fabrics and membranes are asked for because those glass cans are then coated with PTFE. And then you have silicon base. So generally in the industry, and then you have also the acrylic base, which are the classical textiles. So when you talk about composite materials, these are the ranges you may talk about. Now, depending, obviously, then the application comes. So as I said, composite materials can be used both for interior and exterior. Now, when you look at interiors, it could be a blinds in your office or your home. It could be uh, a ceiling uh, application, uh, you know, to, uh, so that you can, uh, you know, balance out the acoustics. So the acoustic fabric um, and, and, and even for that matter, furniture. So that could be the fabrics used for interiors. Now, for exteriors, the gamut of application is much bigger. Even in blinds, it could be exterior blinds. It could be an awnings, for example, outside a home, apartment, restaurant, or, or open spaces. It could be small shade structures, which you see the umbrellas or walkways and everything. It could even be stadiums, airports, amphitheaters, covering sports facilities like a tennis court, like, a, a, you know, a, for example, a swimming pool uh, in that sense and all those kinds of elements. Then if you go further, it could be exterior furnitures. You, you could talk about event tents. Uh, we also have fabrics doing biogas membranes, you know, uh, in, with the new element of sustainability and uh, having more alternative sources of energy than for fish farming. So uh, and for marine applications on yachts and you know, cruise liners, because the, ex the climate is extreme there, you need a different mm -hmm. kind of element. Now, these um, obviously all of these fabrics, depending on the application, have a different technology to make or a different varnish or a resin or a coating use. Obviously, that's the that's the um, uh, innovation part of any company to differentiate themselves. Now, the key question when it comes to sustainability obviously comes is the recyclability of the product after its usage. So here you're talking about maybe a blind lasts for five or 10 years, maybe a big structure like a stadium or airports that you want for 20, 25 years. Now, what you do after when you, when the people want to change the design or change the fabric, for example, what happens? Can you recycle or not? What can you recycle? What do you get out of that when you recycle? So these are the elements which are coming into play. Then the second part is also at the back end, you know, we call it cradle to cradle in that sense, right? So from the start, which kind of material you're using, how the yarns itself are made, how the raisins are used, which kind of uh, companies or sources you're using, and then what happens at the end of life. So more and more, we are talking about that in terms of what at the end of life you can use, which materials you can do, do it, does a technology exist for recycling or not, or reusage or not. At the same time, we are also looking at when we talk about um, average CO2 consumption over the whole process, you know, so we are, I mean, in terms of what is the life cycle when you compare with alternative materials. Now, in terms of alternative mm -hmm. material, when you look at big structures, you're talking about metal, you're talking about concrete, you're talking about different kinds of buildings. So those those elements and the third most important element, which is, I would say, uh, a very important one, but sometimes does not, um, you know, get a enough um, visibility is how when you put these membranes or fabrics outside your building, what kind of energy advantage a building gets. So if you're using an exterior window screen or you're using an exterior fabric facades, what advantages can you get for the building without damaging the aesthetics or in fact enhancing the acoustics, but the thermal element of energy consumption within the building, how does it improve or not? So these are the things and actually fabric facades is a category we as a company take pride that we've really 
created that market and growing that because when you put outside a building or envelop it, you can really bring energy advantage to the extent of 70, 80%. And then you re reduce the cooling load on the building. You don't disturb, um, you can still feel, the residents can still feel connected with the outside because it's a mesh. So you feel you're interacting with the outside. You can play aesthetically with lights and everything. So these are the, I would say, when we talk about green building and sustainability, and I'm just reading actually a very interesting book because those are big buzzwords, but mm -hmm. sometimes it's always misunderstood and, uh, you know, misquoted. So there are many elements, if I try to, as I broke it up into different uh, compartments, at different elements, you are playing a role to contribute, you know, uh, towards towards green, towards the sustainability, towards the climate action goals, which everyone is talking about. What are some of the challenges you, you listed off, you know, a handful yes. of benefits there. What, what are some challenges that people are facing in this space? So challenges is acceptance. Okay. That people can mm -hmm. understand that okay, if something can be recycled or can be made with an alternative material, for example, can it last long? And, you know, sometimes you, uh, in these kinds of uh, materials and uh, industries, there's sometimes you don't have an historical reference. So even today in membranes, not many people even understand. They are wondering, oh, can you do a stadium with this? Because they think, oh, it can only, a stadium has to last 25, 30 years minimum. And they wonder, mm -hmm. oh, can a fabric last that long or not? So it's a, it's a, it's a question of understanding the knowledge uh, in terms of, and, uh, and even younger generation knowing that. Uh, and I, I covered in my one of my podcasts a few weeks back with them, um, um, and there I mentioned that one of the challenges we face is that when you look at architect, designer and engineering institutes, even as a field, composite material or tensile engineering or this kind of engineering is not even taught, uh, you know, taught as an elective, forget as a stream. So, so right. we are so far behind in that sense. So sometimes we try to take that initiative to talk the architect. So one is knowledge and understanding. Second is does enough raw material or enough kind of alternative materials have they come in the industry or not? And so that you can work together, do some sampling, do some weaving, make some square meters of that, try and test it out. So that's that's the second element. Third is related to the raw material when you talk about varnishes, when you talk about resins, coatings. Uh, what are those companies which are manufacturing that? What steps are they taking? And how many of them are willing to change and invest? Sometimes you're forced, if you're in US or in Europe, sometimes you're forced by regulation. Can the same pressure and the same regulation be managed with Asian suppliers, for example? So, you know, these are the also the challenges. But I think the general awareness is coming. A lot of people are talking about it. A lot of all these EU regulations or American regulations are forcing people to really think on that. But I still feel in this industry, there's still a long way to go. But the fact that mm -hmm. companies are getting aware of it and thinking about it. So one is in the material itself, but one as a material company, how are we contributing to a building? So there are two elements of that. So on the second part, we are trying to do our part to educate that if you use this kind of material against a metal or concrete or anything, these are the advantages you bring. So you are contributing to the climate action. But the second part is the part which will take a bit longer because there's a lot of technology, innovation, and other elements involved because people will just not replace it, um, you know, immediately without knowing that it is proven and it can last and give the functionality. 
Yeah, I think the proof and the social proof there is going to be just from an outsider's perspective, that would be the hardest thing to overcome because it's not, okay, it's been two years. This is the proof here. It's decades that I think people would need to feel comfortable to make that transition. And so that's, it's a challenge where any innovation that any innovation faces where you have to have the early adopters that go in, trust the technology, trust the products and see the long-term vision of it. And that's a challenge in every industry, uh, let alone something that it takes decades to, to prove out. Uh, how are you facing that and helping uh, overcome that and then helping ease that uh, reluctance uh, without that you know, decades and decades of proof? Although uh, Search Ferrari has, has been around for 50 years, but with the evolving technology, it still takes time. Uh, so how are you guys addressing that? So first is obviously education, talking to the right people, whether it's engineers, developers, architects, designers. So at our different levels in different parts of the world, we do that. We have teams on the ground which are talking about new technologies and everything. Second is obviously we internally we have in our own manufacturing entities, labs and uh, I would say experiential centers where we actually make the product and do the cycling, you know, because when you talk about blinds, you have to do X amount of thousands of cycles up and down. When you're talking about awnings, you have to do that. So, and we kind of do accelerated testing tests, working with even testing labs to help them, you know, create new technologies or new machinery to do the new kind of testing in a faster way, but giving an equivalent result that if this kind of fabric actually would have used 10 years, now what you do in a lab over an accelerated um, aging test or an accelerating usage test, for 10 years, how many times you will use that the equivalence can be presented. So, so this is the way we try to do. Then obviously there are people who want to experiment. We may show, we may even do a mock structure that's becoming more and more common now. So they would do a mock-up, for example, and we are more than happy to support when people want to do a mock-up. We've tried to create some softwares where integrating data of the fabric or the membrane, the technical data and the other environmental situation, you can kind of Correlate. I took, talked about fabric facades. We really have an internal um, software developed, which is available to the engineers, where if they input the data of a city, the temperature, the kind of um, facades which have been used, uh, the glazing which has been used, you put all that technical data and the membrane and the fabric data, you really can calculate over a period of time what's the energy saving you can get. So those uh, simulation tools also we have developed. Uh, to help uh, the the people understand and get some confidence. And obviously, the fact that the brand name which we have developed uh, and the assurance which we have given over 50 years, that also carries a weight. So if you're bringing out something and talking to someone, no one will take us lightly and assume, oh, this company has just come out with this thing and uh, they are not serious about it. So they will know that if it is coming from the search Ferrari stable, that means a lot of effort has already gone back and I... I should not feel hesitant to, you know, try it out or trust it. Sure. Now, that, that certainly makes sense. And uh, I, I guess with that, there's a lot of awareness. And obviously, you're here talking about what, what you're doing and uh, really the benefits and challenges that come along with that. Uh, if I'm a listener and you've piqued my interest and I want to start learning more and doing a deep dive here, what's a good step one in the research component, but also perhaps to, to implement this type of uh, product or technology at my facility? So, well, you could obviously go to our website and use the contact page 
to give your details. So either somebody from our head office, which is in France, can contact, you can give my email, they can write to me, I can connect them with the right person, or they will automatically, the website will lead them to the contact, say in US, on the East Coast, on the West Coast, or, or uh, you know, South of um, the US, for example, to connect with them, the right people. And if those people sometimes are not able to answer technically more in questions in detail, then they will bring the product management into the picture to help them understand and then, you know, uh, uh, work accordingly as per their needs and uh, and requirements. Perfect. Well, I'll, I'll have all that information here in the show notes. So if uh, folks are interested, then uh, there's some resources there. And uh, I do have one last question I ask everybody, yes. and that is who or what has had the biggest impact on you and your career? Who and what? Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> um, I think the the what would be the fact that um, when I moved um, from India to do my MBA in France, uh, that was the biggest uh, game changer for me uh, in that sense to uh, to take that uh, uh, step, which has then defined my career and the direction um, uh, I have uh, taken. I think who would be the uh, family part in terms of obviously starting from my parents and then uh, my spouse and children in that sense that which direction of life you have to take or the values. I would say more the direction of life is the values, basically, because that cannot be taught from outside. It has to come from the inside. So I suppose that one uh, played a very key role and connected to the values, then naturally moving into meditation, I suppose, was connected to the values. So then heartfulness meditation, uh, uh, you know, played a very key role also. So. That's great. Yeah. Have to have that, uh, that support system there. But, um, Hey, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show here today and talking about what you guys are doing over at search for group. Again, they're in the show notes. There's going to be some more uh, resources for folks to reach out to you, uh, as well as learn more about uh, the industry, but, uh, until next time, be good. Thank you. Thank you, Griffin. And great, uh, speaking with you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the modern facilities management podcast. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes and follow us on LinkedIn for more facilities management content.